You see that uh, boy in the black and white picture with the Lionel train set? That was me. I mean, not literally me, but that was me. 1956, I was eight years old and I got a Lionel train set and uh, best gift I ever got. Well, another Christmas is upon us and we are embarking on a journey together to discover what it could look like to prepare, to wait, that's what Advent is all about, for Christmas differently. How often do we actually think about how we prepare for Christmas and why we do what we do? I mean, why lights and malls and puppies and elves and shopping? I love elves, but the rest I'm not so sure of. Well, we just finished off uh, Black Friday. In fact, the whole experience, the Black Friday weekend, which now starts on Thursday, you know, when the turkey's still warm, and it goes through Sunday. So if you still want to get involved in Black Friday weekend, you can go to the mall after the service. If you were to get up now, it'd be embarrassing, so don't do that. You know, wait till the sermon's over. But Black Friday, the numbers are in. I looked at them this morning. Uh, Americans in one day, 24-hour period, spent $13.13 billion in one day. Almost enough to take care of the world's water problem, okay? That was one day. Now, 140 million shoppers, that's 68% of all adults in the United States, at some time during the weekend of Black Friday, went shopping. $37 million will, is the estimate, will be spent for the entire weekend. Christmas, back in 2006, Americans were spending $450 billion a year on Christmas. Now the number is $500 billion a year. And from Thanksgiving through um, the new year, the holiday shopping season, $613 billion are spent by consumers. I wonder if we can do things differently. Now, we're one church, and we can't do everything, but we can do some things. I mean, one thing that we've, part of this thing with uh, San Marcos School is that we're helping us have opportunities to redirect some of our Christmas money, okay? And so we're talking about buying school supplies for the kids. This little display up here is about that. School supplies, backpacks, shoes, all of those things for 600 children from a Title I school. Most of them have nothing. Most of them have just barely subsistence living. How can we do Christmas differently? This is the Advent conspiracy, to do things differently, to reclaim Christmas, to worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. Now, each of these concepts are deeply rooted in Jesus' existence, but have been forgotten as Christians, uh, Christmas has been turned into this cultural phenomenon rather than a life-altering event. Let's change it, right? Are you with me? Yes. Okay, yeah. I feel like Custer uh, going into battle with, uh, you know, <laughs> one Kimosabi. You know, thank you. Thank you, Jim, for that. Uh, so uh, we're going to, uh, believe it or not, uh, we're going to go on this journey together. Today we begin our conspiracy with a call to worship fully, to worship fully. Now, Pastor Ryan talked about 
the idea of Advent is a, a time of anticipation, a time of, you remember that old a ketchup commercial? Some of you won't remember this a long time ago. It was, I think it's Hunt's Ketchup, where the, the ketchup was so thick, and the song was anticipation. And you could kind of, oh, and you're waiting for the ketchup. Well, that's what the Advent of the, of the coming of Jesus Christ is about. The first Advent, the first coming, was Christ in a manger. The second advent, the second coming, is that time when Jesus Christ will break through the eastern sky and return to make all things new. So we're celebrating advent and we're participating and anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ. So worship really matters. Uh, the other night at our uh, celebration for Thanksgiving, on Wednesday night, uh, we had uh, uh, Brandon and Ryan had several people share their testimonies. And one of them was Mike Pulley. And Mike Pulley talked about the importance that uh, worship plays in his life every single Sunday. And uh, Mike is one of those few guys along with Sherry and I that say, I can't do this just once. I've got to go tw to church twice. And so he comes to worship twice. But the idea is that he recognizes the the work and the um, uh, commitment that it takes our worship team to prepare uh, worship so that we can be invited into this worship. This is one of the greatest times of my week is when we worship the Lord together. So what does it mean to worship fully? Now we can get really sidetracked with stuff. And let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, years ago, uh, Diane Betcher in Mount Shasta, California was watching TV one Friday night and switched on the news. Suddenly, a bright light shone and an image appeared and she claimed it to be an angel. She also claimed that 5,000 other people saw this same angel in the TV set. Uh, TV repairman Bob Wilson said that the image was caused by a bad capacitor and low voltage supply. And he could actually duplicate the feat in his shop. But then he said, the reason I didn't say anything was because people were praying in front of the TV and I didn't know how to break it to them. Well, that, that's not unusual. People still worship in front of the TV today, right? Especially during football season. Uh, but then another example. In the Chicago Tribune reported a woman in New Mexico uh, who, while frying tortillas, noticed that the skillet burns on one of the tortillas resembled, she believed, the face of Jesus. She took a priest... Uh, she took it to a priest who blessed it. She brought it home, built an altar, opened up home for visitors and pilgrims. 8,000 people came to view the Jesus tortilla, and she charged $5 a person to view the tortilla. Um, she claimed that it changed her life. Well, yeah, 8,000 people at $5 a pop will change your life, you know, every time. But don't we do the weirdest things around worship? We've got to do a better job of worshiping at Christmas. Back in 2003, I had this kind of idea or this concept that I put in a phrase that was called the Mary Miracle. Anybody remember that phrase, the Mary Miracle? Um, as I was preparing this sermon, I thought, this idea needs to be reintroduced to us this morning. So here's the idea of the Mary Miracle. You all know that uh, somewhere between a 14 and 15-year-old girl 2,000 years ago was tapped on the shoulder by the angel Gabriel and said, listen, you're going to be uh, blessed by the Father. You will conceive a child by the Holy Spirit, even though you've never had relations with a man. You will bear a son. His name will be Jesus. And that's the Christmas story, right? So we kind of know that story. So here's what I call the Mary miracle. That Christ, the Son of God, 
comes alive in Mary, and that the Son of God, who has come alive in Mary, will change Mary. It'll literally change her shape physically, emotionally, spiritually. That Christ, who comes alive in Mary and grows in Mary, will come forth from Mary. And the Son of God, who comes alive in Mary and grows in Mary and comes forth from Mary, will change the world around her. That's the Mary miracle. The Son of God comes alive in her, who she later was named Jesus because of what the angel had told her. Now, here's the amazing news about the Mary miracle. That when this happened to this 14-year-old girl back in Nazareth 2,000 years ago, that miracle has happened over and over and over and over again in other people's lives. And to say it more personally, that miracle happened in me. You say, well, that's kind of weird. How did that miracle happen in you? Let me tell you how it happened to me. That Christ came alive in me and that the Christ who came alive in me has grown in me and the Christ who came alive in me and has grown in me has come forth from me and changed the world around me. That is the miracle, Mary miracle. It's happened to me, it's happened to many of you, and it's available to happen to any human being on this planet who would say yes to Jesus Christ. That's the Mary miracle. Jesus wants to come alive in you today. So for a few moments this morning, I want to share with you, based on that Mary miracle, three different concepts, three things that God wants to bring to you. And here's, here's, here's the overall arching thing that you can remember if you remember nothing else about the service. God wants to say to you, I want you to have a very, very Merry Christmas. Let's see if we got this right. No, we still didn't get it right. Okay, that's supposed to say M-A-R-Y, okay? I want you to have a Merry Christmas. Have a Christ being born in you Christmas. Have a Christ growing in you and changing you Christmas. Have a Christ coming forth from you Christmas. And have a Christ changing the world around you Christmas. Have a Merry Christmas. 1 Peter 1.23 says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. It's just like what happened to Mary, right? Through the living and enduring word of God. Christ is born in you. That's the miracle of Christmas. And the reason that, that we worship and we praise and we thank the living God that Christ is born in us. So today I want you to consider with me how we respond to this merry miracle. And we'll respond by using three words. With wonder, by witness, and with worship. Wonder, witness, and worship. The first thing is this. We wonder about the miracle of Mary. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2, that very famous passage of Scripture that uh, tells the Christmas story the most completely. And uh, as you turn to your Bibles in uh, Luke chapter 2, I would invite you, I would say to you that I want you every week to read your Bibles. Um, the reason I invite you to read your Bibles is because this book has the power to transform you when you take it seriously, when you believe it, when you live it. It is a book that will convict you. It is a book that will bless you, that will encourage you, that will satisfy you. This is the living Word of God. So read your Bibles. Now, if you say, okay, I'd like to, but I don't have a Bible, back on our communion tables and the uh, baptism, baptism, baptistry, we have dozens of Bibles. They're for you. 
If you don't have one, or if you'd like to give one to a friend or a relative, you take as many of those Bibles as you want to, and you give them to other people. Because the world will be transformed when we read our Bibles. Okay, so here we are, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through verse 20. This is the Word of God. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of God for the people of God. Did you notice verse 19? But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Now consider, consider what happened to Mary. So an angel comes and visits this teenage girl. And she's from a very poor family, a very poor um, village. Uh, there's no, um, you know, there's no power that she has of it. She's a girl. She has no means of support except for her mom and dad. She's kind of a nothing. And here, an angel visits her. Now, the Bible says not just any angel, but the angel Gabriel. Now, Gabriel was an angel of some significant rank. We don't know how those things work, but Gabriel was some kind of a significant, large angel. And so, Gabriel goes through the world, and he's looking around, and he finds, the, he finds Asia, and he finds the Middle East, and then he finds Nazareth, and he finds this hovel, and he finds this little girl, and he reports to her that, listen, honey, you are going to have a baby by the Holy Spirit, and his name will be Jesus, and he will literally change the world. Now, how do you like that, Mary? What do you think about that? What do you think she said? Are you kidding me? Why me? Who, sh who am I that should have this privilege and this glory? So there's this kind of this angst around here. And then explaining to Joseph, an angel helped her with that. You know, listen, your girlfriend's pregnant. You haven't been married. You haven't laid with her. So something's going on here. And then the rugged trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, the scorn of friends and neighbors because she was pregnant out of wedlock, rejection at the end, the birth, the shepherds, all of these things. And the Bible says that Mary treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Let me tell you what that word pondered means. It means to settle into to sit down in. So when she pondered these things, it's like she said, okay, I'm just going to relax. I'm going to settle down into the knowledge, 
that I've been told by the angel that I've experienced now in my trip to Bethlehem. I'm going to settle down in this knowledge, ponder what God is trying to say to me, what God is trying to do to me. After all, I've given birth to the Savior of the world. I'm going to ponder these things. I'm going to settle down and try and figure them out. I wonder how often we ponder Christmas. I wonder how often we settle down into the reality of Christmas. Now this Mary miracle, and again, let me remind you what that is. The Mary miracle is that Christ has come alive in you, that Christ is growing in you, that Christ comes forth from you, and Christ changed the world around you. Have you ever just simply sat down and pondered that? And thought about that? And wondered about that? And embraced that and say, God, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? I mean, so often we get so focused on our sins and our brokenness that we forget to ponder on these things. So uh, yesterday I was meeting with a, a gal and, and she was struggling with having all these past sins. And we all do that. We struggle with our past sins, right? We, we know that. And she's struggling. She says, when I come to church, I think people look at me differently and they don't really know who I am because I'm this broken person. And, and she's saying all of these things. And I said to her, I said, listen, all of us have a past. It's not exactly like yours, but it's our past. And all of us have sins and brokenness in our life. And here's what we've experienced. We've experienced the grace of God by allowing Jesus Christ, who shed blood on the cross, is greater than all our sins, the old hymn says. Greater than all our sins, covers all our sins. And so what we are left with is simply Jesus looking at us with love and adoration, gracing us, filling us with his purpose, and saying, listen, you matter to me. Your past is the past. Your present is life in Christ. When you ponder that, when you settle down into that reality of what God has done for you, even though you're a terrible sinner like me, even though there's so many things you've done wrong, but you settle down into that reality that God has forgiven you, He has graced you, and that all of your sins are cast away into a sea of forgetfulness to where God can't see your sins anymore, and then He posts a sign that says, no fishing, you know, that's for our benefit. Do you realize when you settle down into that, when you recognize that Christ is alive in you, he's growing in you, he comes forth from you, and he changes the world around you, when you settle into that, it changes your life. Now, when we settle into our past sins, when we settle into all the consumerism, when we settle into all these other things, we become anxious and we become filled with fear and all of those things. But when we settle into the grace of God and what he's done in our lives, it changes everything. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Lord, you picked me. Lord, you called me to do this. I remember in the um, June of 1979 on the campus of Colorado State University, um, I was ordained to uh, the Covenant Church. And myself, along with a bunch of other guys and gals who had gone through seminary and were now being ordained, we were up on the stage. By the way, uh, our associate pastor, Brandon, is getting ordained this coming June in Kansas City. So if you want to make plans to go there and be part of that, it's awesome. So we were lined up on the stage at Colorado State University, and they had uh, seminary professors and other pastors and your family, and in my case, it was my wife Sherry, my dad, and my grandfather were all there, and they laid hands on me, and the prayer was, I, I don't remember who prayed it, but the, the man who prayed the prayer said, um, Father of Abraham, God of Abraham, bless Abraham's sons and daughters. 
That was this beautiful prayer that the God who blessed and ordained Abraham is the same God who was blessing and ordaining these 35 individuals. And it was this powerful time. And I pondered that. I settled down into that reality. What does this mean that I am ordained to the ministry? What does this mean for me? What does this mean? Unfortunately, like happens with many of us, after a series of years and series of events, I forgot and I stopped pondering what that meant to me. I got off track. I failed God miserably. I failed my church. I had to resign from my church. And then after going through a series of healing ministries, finally the Lord said, okay, you're ready to go back in the ministry. And so in February of 2000, I had the group of people lay their hands on me and reordain me to the ministry. And here's what I pondered. I pondered the grace of God. How can somebody who's been so sinful and so deceitful be ordained to be a pastor once again? That's how great is God's mercy. And when you, like Mary, settle down into the reality of Christ in you, Christ growing in you, Christ coming forth from you, and Christ changing the world around you, when you ponder that, there's only this sense of wonder and awe that surrounds you. Wonder, love, and praise. Christ is born in you. Christ grows in you, Christ comes forth from you, and Christ changes the world around you. Wonder about the miracle of your life. Our next response to the miracle is this. We bear witness to the miracle. We bear witness to the miracle. In your sermon notes, you'll find these, this passage from Luke 2 again. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Isn't that an amazing passage? Now, in the ancient Near East, Shepherds were one of the most despicable professions. I mean, they were outcasts of society. They were uncouth, uneducated, unkempt, and most of all, unfragrant. I mean, they just, this, was not a great, this was not a great job to have. But these men were not society's shining stars. Ironically, God chose them, and you can put a parenthesis in here, Oh, now I get it. Now I see why God chose me, right? God chose them to reveal the wondrous miracle of the birth of Jesus Christ, the salvation of the world. And what was their response to this? It says in verse 17, let's go and see this thing that has happened. In other words, they believed it. Of course, when angels come and tell you stuff, you tend to believe it. They believed it and they were filled with joy and they spread the word concerning this child. When you are filled with joy and wonder, they spread the word concerning this child. I remember the night I was at a Youth for Christ rally. I was 16 years old. I'd been raised in the church, but that night I made Christ my Lord and Savior. Not my parents' Lord and Savior. They taught me about God, but I needed to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. And that night I gave my heart to Christ. I was 16 years old. I was a very shy kid, but I still told the other kids in our youth group that I was there with. And I couldn't wait to get home 
because I wanted to wake up my mom and my dad and I wanted to tell them that I had given my heart to Jesus. I couldn't contain myself. I was so filled with praise. I remember um, just a few months ago, um, I don't know if Janelle's in here. She was in first service. Um, but Janelle uh, was one that was being baptized. She'd just come to Christ in our church, and she was going to be baptized. And when she was baptized, she came out of the water, and she looked at me, you know, like I was an alien, you know. And I think she was seeing something, not me. She was like she was, like she was seeing the Father. And she, the Spirit revealed to her that this amazing thing that we call baptism was this new beginning for her, and this was a, a change in her. And her life was transformed when she was saved and then baptized. And you know what? She's still transformed today, and her life is filled with joy. And she can't help but telling other people about Jesus. That's what happens when you witness the Mary miracle. When you recognize in your own life that Christ has come alive in me and Christ is growing in me and Christ is coming forth from me and Christ is changing the world around me. Everything about you bears witness to that truth. Let me give you an opportunity. An opportunity to partner with the living God. How would you like that? Say, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. It's not going to cost you anything. Here's an opportunity to partner with the living God around being a witness. Because sometimes you're afraid of being a witness. I understand that. Scary. Somebody will think you're dumb. Somebody, you won't have the right verses. All of that stuff. You know, throw all of those ideas away. Let me give you an opportunity to partner with God. On Christmas Eve, we have two services. Both of them are packed at 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock. And on Christmas Eve, there'll be between two and 300 people here that never go to church, that never really hear the gospel. And that night, they will hear the gospel in a very clear way and they'll have an opportunity to come to Christ. What do you think about this opportunity? You invite a neighbor, you invite a friend, especially you invite an enemy to come with you on Christmas Eve and you are partnering with God to give them an opportunity to say yes, to be saved, to be born again, to have Christ come alive in their life and grow in their life and come forth from their life and change the world around their life. You can partner with God to do that. That's what being a witness is. That's all it is. You don't have to have no theology. You don't have to know doctrine. You don't even have to know scripture, although it really helps. You need to simply bear witness to what God has done in your life. Well, pastor, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure you know what he's done in your life. Just say it. Okay, the blind man, he had no Bible training. He had no knowledge of the Bible. He had no theology, no doctrine. Here's what the blind man said. You know what? I don't know about Jesus guy. I don't know anything about the Torah. I don't know anything about religion. Here's what I do know. 20 seconds ago, I was blind. And now I can see. You could say that. You can bear witness to that. That's what the shepherds did. They bore witness to what they saw, what they experienced, and they fell down before the Lord and they worshiped him. Be a witness to the miracle of what God has done in your heart. The last response to the Mary miracle is simply worship. We bear witness to the source of the miracle. When all the gifts are unwrapped, when the tree is out for the trash pickup, unless you're like me and you have a fake one, when the cookies and the relatives, thank the Lord, are all gone, what are we left with? I'll tell you what we're left with. We're left with Jesus. When the Magi came to see the newborn king, the gospel writer Matthew in chapter 2 verse 11 said this, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. These 
strangers, these foreigners. Magi, actually, they were sorcerers. They were educated men who believed that you could know things through looking at the stars. And they followed the star. Somehow, some way, they decided to follow this star. And it brought them into the presence of the baby Jesus. And the Bible says they fell down and they worshipped him. They brought him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. All the things that the other world had to offer. They said, we bring these gifts to you. When perhaps for the first time you recognize the Mary miracle in you. When you recognize that Christ has come alive in you. And Christ is growing in you. And Christ comes forth from you. And Christ changes the world around you. When you realize that the only response is like the Magi to fall down on your face and worship the Lord. Wednesday night, um, as we were uh, sharing testimonies, uh, Pam Carlberg shared about an experience she had in, um, in Kenya. Just a few months ago, remember she and some other gals from our church went to Kenya on a mission trip. And she said the first morning she was there, still suffering from jet lag, um, at 8 o'clock in the morning, the kids in this village all got together. It was for school, but they, before school they had worship. And so all these kids were there, these beautiful, beautiful little Kenyan boys and girls that, listen to this, please, have nothing. Maybe a pair of shoes. Maybe some clothes. Sometimes food, sometimes not. These kids have nothing. And when Pam saw them in their praising God and singing with their voices, filling up this open-air cathedral and just singing praises to God, Pam said that she just started to weep for joy. Why? Because these children, having nothing, realized that Christ coming alive in me and Christ growing in me and Christ coming forth from me and Christ changing the world around me is the most important thing that a person can ever experience in this life. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ in me. Several um, Christmas Eves ago, I didn't find this out until after the service because I, I then heard the backstory. Um, a man was here in Chandler working for Intel on a part-time project for a couple of months. But on Christmas Eve, he was driving up and down Dobson trying to find a liquor store, trying to find some way to fix his pain. And you guys understand that. It may not be liquor for you, but it's something else. We try to mediate. We try to... Uh, fix our pain in some way, and he was trying to do it by finding alcohol. Um, as he was looking, he kept passing our church, and it said, no perfect people allowed. And the parking lot was packed. It was Christmas Eve, and the light shone on our stained glass window at night, showed the cross, and he kept saying to himself, my life is a wreck. My wife has left me. I'm estranged from my children. Um, Nothing works in my life. I head to the bottle when I'm, when I'm lonely or sad. My life is, I just don't know what to do. My heart is broken. What should I do? And he said, I, I guess I should just pull into this church. And he did. And he came in. He sat in the back. It was full. And I, did, of course, didn't know him at the time. But afterwards, in talking to him uh, during the service, um, we gave an opportunity, just like you're going to be able to partner with God to do that this year. 
some he invited, he came in, he prayed and he received Christ into his heart that night. And afterwards, I had a chance to talk to him and explain a little bit more about what it meant. And I said, uh, here's all of your stuff that you're carrying, and you're carrying a load. Um, your broken heart from your marriage that's failed, your kids that say they hate you, your job that's not going very well, your life is falling apart. All of this brokenness, this pile of just junk, all of the, this is you. And over here, Jesus is saying, listen, when you experience the Mary miracle, when you let Christ come into your life, I want to give you forgiveness of sin. And that means that the blood of Jesus washes your sin past, present, and future. Try and figure that out. Okay, I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to give you purpose and meaning. I'm going to give you a joy that you've never experienced. All this stuff I'm going to give you. Now, I, and I said to this guy, I said, here's the deal. Here's all your junk, and here's Jesus. And the wonderful exchange says this, that he gives you all of his stuff, and you give him all of your stuff. And Jesus takes all of your stuff to the cross. He dies for it, and it is redeemed. And what's left is you have Jesus and eternal life and forgiveness, forgiveness of sins and a brand new beginning. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is dead, the new has come. That night, this man experienced that wonderful exchange. That night, that man experienced new life in Christ. He lived in Fort Lauderdale. I heard from him a couple of times after that. He got involved in a church and like that, and I'm trusting that he's following the Lord. But that's the merry miracle. And you can participate that in yourself this morning. If you experience the merry miracle, if you ask Jesus to enter your life, everything changes all of that which is good, he gives to you. All of that which is bad, you give to him. And you get it all. I want to close with a story. It's a story that comes from years ago, back in the 1940s, just before the onset of World War I, excuse me, World War II. There was this wealthy man who was a widower, and he had a grown son, a young man, who, uh, with his father, they were devoted to the craft of buying and selling and identifying great art. They had a passion for art collecting. Together they traveled the world, adding only the finest art treasures to their collection on priceless works of art, Picasso, Monet, Van Gogh, and many others adorn their walls in their family estate. Well, the widowed elderly man looked on with satisfaction as he saw his only child, his son, become a great art connoisseur himself and was very well positioned to become a very famous man. But then the war broke out and the young man, heeding the call, uh, joined the army and went off to the war. And like every parent's worst nightmare, the father got a call, a, couple, a telegram a couple of weeks later saying that your son is MIA, he's miss missing in action. And then two weeks after that, there was the knock at the door and there was the colonel standing on his porch to tell him the bad news. The officer did tell him that from what we hear, your son was in the process of rescuing another young man before he was shot. Well, as you would expect, the old man was completely heartbroken, distraught and lonely. And as he faced the upcoming Christmas with anguish and sadness, early in the morning on Christmas Day, he heard a knock on the door and there was a young man standing there with a large package. He asked him to come in, and the young man said, Listen, I knew your son. In fact, 
I was one of the young men that he rescued. He was taking us one at a time, carrying us over his shoulder and taking us back to safety. And I was one that was, life was saved because of your son. And to honor him, he said, I know I'm not an artist like you or not an art connoisseur, but I'm somewhat of an artist and I painted a portrait of your son. And I'd like to give it to you as a gift. And as the old man unwrapped it, he certainly recognized it as, as his son. It wasn't a great work of art, but there was the sparkle in the kid's eye that he knew his son had. There was the smile that somehow he captured perfectly. And he said, I will treasure this for the rest of my life. In fact, Monet, Picasso, Van Gogh, they all go away from the mantle, from the fireplace, and there goes the picture of my son. It's a great gift. He said, the greatest gift I've ever received in my life. During the days and weeks that followed, the man realized that even though his son was no longer with him, the boy's life was alive in that portrait. The following spring, the old man became ill and passed away. The art world was in great anticipation, believing that now there's this collector's paradise, there will be an auction, and all of this great art will be auctioned off because, after all, the son, his only, his only son was dead, and now the father was dead. And so all of the art connoisseurs from all over the world gathered for this wonderful opportunity to buy these great works of art. The first auction, the auction began first with a painting that was not on any museum's list, it was the painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid, but the room went silent. Who will open up with a bid of $100, the auctioneer said. No one responded. In fact, several said, come on, we don't care about the father's son's portrait. Just get rid of it. We want to get to the good stuff. We're willing to pay good money, big money for all of the great art. But the auctioneer said, no, I'm sorry. The instructions were that this painting had to be sold first. Now, who will take the son, he said. Finally, a neighbor of the old man spoke. Uh, Will you take $10 for the portrait? He said, that's all I've got. And I knew the son and I knew his father. I loved them very much. I would love to have that portrait. And so the auctioneer said, going once, going twice, gone, sold to the neighbor for $10 and the gavel fell. Cheers filled the room as they anticipated now the, the good stuff. Let's get to the great art. Now we can get on and bid on the real treasures, one said. The auctioneer looked at the audience gathered and announced that the auction was over. Stunned disbelief quieted the room. People stood up and said, what's going on? What's wrong? We don't understand. What, what's going on? We didn't come here for some painting of the sun. What, what, what's going on? And finally, the auctioneer replied, it's very simple. According to the will of the Father, whoever takes the sun gets it all. Whoever takes the sun gets it all. All of this which Jesus possesses, his grace and forgiveness, his life within us, eternal life, everything that he possesses, he who takes the Son gets it all. The story puts into perspective for me, doesn't it, what it means to experience the merry miracle, Christ coming alive in me, in you. The Christ who comes alive in me and you and grows in me. The Christ who comes forth from me and the Christ who comes forth from me and changes the world around me. That's the merry miracle. That's available to you, to me, to every one of us. Because whoever takes the sun gets it all. Would you bow your heads with me, please, for prayer?
Father, we can't help but um, recognize how easily we get distracted from the real meaning of Christmas. That's why we're having a conspiracy. That's why we're reclaiming Christmas, because we can get so easily distracted by the things around us. But Father, here's the very core, the very center of our faith, and it's this. Christ coming alive in me by faith. Christ growing in me and literally changing me. Christ coming forth from me and Christ changing the world around me is the greatest miracle of all. And Father, we believe that that miracle can happen to every person in this room. Now, Lord, we realize that there are many here this morning who have said yes to you. Jesus is their Lord and Savior. They've made that commitment. And because they have the Son, they have it all. But Lord, there may be others here this morning who do not have that assurance, who have not made that commitment by faith. And Lord, I just want to give them an opportunity to pray to receive Christ this morning. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you would like to pray to receive Christ this morning and receive all that he has to give, I would just simply ask you to pray this prayer after me, not out loud, but in the quietness of your own heart, something like this. Dear Lord, I need you. My life is broken and there are times I feel so lonely and I feel so lost. And so with the small amount of faith that I can muster this morning, I pray that Jesus Christ would come into my life, would be my master, my Lord, my forgiver, my savior, my friend. And then when Jesus comes into my life, all that he is, eternal life and mercy and grace and forgiveness, all that he is becomes mine. And for this, I thank you and praise you. Now with your head still bowed and your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I would love to pray for you. So I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you in just a moment if you would, everybody also have their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would just raise your hand and look up at me and make eye contact so that I know that you prayed that prayer. Would you do that right now if you prayed that prayer? Yes, God bless you, honey. Yes, God bless you. Yes. Anyone else this morning? Father, what a joy it is to recognize that Christ in us, alive in us, changes everything. And my prayer is for these who raised their hands this morning that they would not only know you, but they would embrace you by faith and they would receive all that Christ has to give. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would worship fully this Christmas season, that every time we have an opportunity, whether at home or at church or anywhere we're at, that our hearts would soar and we would recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is alive in me. And for that, we give you thanks and praise you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, amen, amen. God bless you.